Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Back in my day, uh, we went to uh, Disney World for uh, a school trip, believe it or not. And one of the the biggest memories of mine from this school trip was uh, not a good memory, but a bad memory. It's very... (laughs) And uh, so we stopped at a rest area. And uh, in in this uh, rest area... um, well, a long story short, I ended up in the, the, uh, the wrong bathroom about 50 years before it was cool to do so. Uh, <clears throat> and I come out, and um, it wasn't cool for me, right? So come out of the, the stall in this place to every girl in my third grade class, right there in the uh, washing their hands waiting in line to use the stalls, etc. And I have a, a stigmatism now, like I, that, I, that has never left, you know, <laughs> me. It has stayed with me that um, there, there are times when you walk into a place that you really don't belong in and you feel really uncomfortable because you're there. So I'm really sensitive to that. And I realize that sometimes when some people come to church, it could feel a lot like that. Like that we could make them feel a whole lot like that. Like they're the, a guy in the girl's bathroom on accident. By the way that we treat them. That's possible. And how do I know that's possible? Because that's the kind of thing and the kind of treatment that James talks about here in James chapter 2. That... The, the treatment that two strangers or guests get from the church. One of them is really good, and one of them is pretty bad. And the criteria between the two is the problem that's going on in our hearts. So, the main point that we see in the text is that you shouldn't relate to people based on their appearances. You shouldn't relate to people based on their appearances. You see a transition that happens here in the book in which that James has told us to receive the word of God in a particular way. And what way is that? To receive the word of God in a way to act upon the word of God. So you receive the word of God, you act upon the word of God, and all of your acting, your outward show of religion, you should... Uh, follow the commands that he has in the text that we went over last week, that you should control your tongue, that you should care for the lowly, and you up to consecrating your entire life. So that is what you should do while you're doing the word. That is the, what he calls the pure and undefiled religion before God. Doing the word in such a way as to control your tongue and to care for the lowly and to consecrate your life. But what we see here today uh, is a transition in chapter 2. The early writer, James didn't write this and go, you know what? I'm going to start chapter 2 right here. 
In fact, James didn't know anything about chapters. He wrote all of this. So we, later on, the chapters have been added in so that we can navigate through the, the, the letters. That's for us, to help us. But why they split the chapter here is because James splits his, uh, he, he shifts his argument. He addresses the subject of partiality or treating people based on their appearances or their status. He is clearly against it, if you're curious. He's against partiality. But instead of telling us what we might expect, that being partial is bad religion, being partial is bad for your religion. That's not what he does. He shifts our religion from, or our attention from religion to faith. J.A. Moyer says, here's James's desire to lead us from an external display to an internal reality. Right? So he shifts from the works of that come from our trust in Christ to the internal reality. Why? Because the works are really about the eternal reality. Everything is about the eternal rea internal reality. Here's how he puts it in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So here's what he's telling us here in principle form. You shouldn't be partial because superficiality is against a glorious Christ. Now, I have worded this specifically on purpose, right? I didn't, uh, <clears throat> and this wasn't an accident. This is on purpose. <clears throat> Um, that you shouldn't be partial because superficiality is against a glorious Christ. Heavy on superficial. Here's what I mean by that. I am very partial to my wife. Very partial. Uh, some of your translations may say favoritism. She is my favorite. I stood before, uh, in, in the presence of God and these witnesses, to say yes to her and no to the world. That's what I did. Yes to this woman, no to all the other ones. Right? In a place similar to this. And, and you all are probably partial to your spouses, your moms, your brothers, your sisters. Like, you have special relationships with these people. So you, I use the word superficial because that's what James is talking about here. People come in, and the way you treat them is based on their status. So me showing favoritism and partiality to my wife, like that's the only one that I greet with a holy kiss. I don't want to get vulgar. But like that is, she's the one. But this is talking about treating people based on outward things. Superficial things. The, cl the class that they're dressed says that they're in. The way they look. The way they smell. The car they came in. The bus they got off of. And then treating them differently because of that. That's why we continue this discussion with the word superficiality, because it drives home what James is talking about here in his display of partiality. It's treating them based on superficial things that don't matter. The reason we shouldn't do that 
is because it's against a glorious Christ. And it's interesting that he, of all people, tell us this. Because uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus, as you all know, and he had the same mom as Jesus, but a different dad. It was complicated. Uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And how many of us had, have, have that sibling? I, I asked the kids, like, do you have a sibling that bosses you around? Uh, when we were doing the children's play, and they, were, they all pointed to the, the sibling that was there on the stage that bossed them around or said their name out loud when I was reading the, the children's Christmas story. <laughs> but how many of you all have a, a sibling that is what you would consider the golden child? Right? The one that thinks that they can do no wrong. Or maybe your parents think that they can do no wrong. Well, James's brother really did no wrong. Right? And he wouldn't want to sit by him in class. Be like, uh, James is like, anybody know the answer to number four? And he's like, no, you're wrong. Yes, Jesus. That's right. He's always right. James had that kind of brother. <laughs> that really was uh, perfect. But he grew up with Jesus and wasn't really a believer in in his ministry, John chapter 7, verse 5 tells us this until he was converted after the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And he then immediately began associating with the disciples and became one of the key elders there in Jerusalem. So he's writing the book here. And, and, and as he introduces himself, if you remember uh, several weeks ago, how does he introduce himself in James chapter 1, verse 1? James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are six degrees of Kevin Bacon from anybody important, that means you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, who knows somebody any, any of six ways, right? Like you're all, the, 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 the theory is that there's six people connected to Kevin Bacon in somehow, some way. That's, that's how that little thing goes, right? So like I ate, uh, I won't get into that. I was going to go how, how I would get to Kevin Bacon, but I, I won't do it right now. If you ask me later, I think I could get there in two or three, not to name drop. But so I don't know Kevin Bacon. I like bacon though a lot. So maybe we're related in some way. But so here's the thing. What, what's happening here is James doesn't name drop that he is the brother of the Lord Jesus. No, he introduces himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus. And when he goes to talk about his brother, the Lord Jesus, here in chapter 2, how does he reintroduce him? But by saying, the Lord of glory. That's what he says about him. That's what he says about him. He doesn't claim prestige because of his brother like you would and like I probably would. No, instead he associates with his readers. He does it again here in chapter 2. My brothers. When if we wrote this book, it'd be like, my brother's glorious. No, my brothers. He's the Lord of glory. That's how he introduces himself in, this in, in chapter 2, verse 1. So, he says, you shouldn't show partiality or relate to them on such a superficial way, and to, to others. Why? Because it's inconsistent with 
faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. He gives us a picture of this later, what it's going to be like. One person comes in, they're dressed to the nine. The other person looks shabby, and the church gathering gives the better-looking, smelling, dressed person the better treatment, and the worst-looking, smelling person, he gives, they give the worst treatment. So better to the better-dressed, worse to the worst-dressed. And why won't that work? Why is that not okay? Well, because we are claiming that we are banking our li- entire lives on the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord of glory. So why would we come in here trying to impress somebody else when our Lord is so glorious? Why would we come in here being impressed with someone else when the Lord is so glorious. You see the problem? The Lord Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And John's, uh, John's revelation of him is like this. John chapter, I think it's one, says what, he, he talks about the Lord Jesus. He says, one like the Son of Man, he, he sees him. Clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and in his mouth came out a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Get that picture in your mind. Wow. By by all means, you all came looking good today. (laughs) But we gather together to worship one who, who, if you could see his face unveiled, it would be like the sun shining in full strength. And none of us are in his category. All of us are not in his category. That's why our superficial uh, preferences go against a glorious Christ. James frames our discussion in contrast to his attributes on display, his glory. So that when we understand his glory, we'll be able to look at each other the right way and view each other rightly. So if your faith is in a glorious Christ and you won't be impressed by the human displays that we put on for each other. And once we see how glorious Christ is, the competition down here is basically over, isn't it? Because you see the two people come in and he's putting them to, he, he contrasts them. Meaning, look what this one has that this one doesn't have. Look at how different they are. That's not the kind of stuff we can do down here. And what might be we talking in this discussion of human displays? He gives us an example, verses 2 and 3. For if a man... <clears throat> Wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet. Well, when we read this, we could easily believe that this is irrelevant, that we would never do this kind of stuff. 
that we're beyond this and disgusted at the fact that this could go on somewhere else, that people could be like this. But this could easily happen in our hearts, right? Because in this place, for the most part, y'all picked your, 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 uh, y'all picked your seats and it didn't have names on them. So you just go places and you just sit, it's kind of first come, first serve. And for whatever reason, there is nobody on the front. Well, there's not very many people on the front seat here. I don't, it's, uh, it might say, it's like the, the race to the back and a, couple, a few of y'all won. But, but what, what this could, be ha- could do, like this could really happen in our hearts. Just imagine, somebody comes in and you smell them before you see them. And they smell like expensive cologne. And when you finally see them, they look like that they crawled out of a JCPenney catalog. And they come and find a seat. They're new here. You might go talk to them. You might not. Then somebody else comes in. And you know what? You smell them before you see them too. But this other one that you smell before you see uh, is not in a good way. It's not in a good way, because maybe they hadn't showered in a while, and they're wearing clothes, uh, that's good, uh, but that's about as good as it is, is that they, they've got themselves covered, that's, as, that's, about, that's good, that's it, that's all they've really accomplished with their clothes. And they, they, they smell, and they, maybe they look funny, I don't know, but when those people come in, what's going on in your heart? One, the one that looks like the JCP... Penny catalog vomited or not here in the pew is, you know, like, I think they could join. Like, I wonder if they're going to want to join here. Meanwhile, the person who comes in and stinks, we might be like, well, they obviously want to talk to the pastor after the service. They probably want benevolence. You see, that, you might not act on that, right? But that is what, it, what the heart of all of this that little thing that's going on that you might not tell anybody you're actually doing, like, that's the heart of what he's talking about here. And he's saying that that is inconsistent with a glorious Christ. And, and what's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? What's, what's bad about that? Isn't that? Wouldn't that be fairly normal if we thought that? That would be fairly bad if we thought that. Because of verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? With evil thoughts. So we have this glorious Lord, and when we make distinctions between us, what do we do? We make ourselves judges. And our thoughts, you see the problem, right? Like you see that that's a problem because the end of verse four is like the thoughts. The thought level is the problem. Not necessarily where they sit or what they do. Like that is the beginning of the problem. That's the beginning of the evil. It's in your mind. We're putting on the robe and the gavel that doesn't belong to us. And our thoughts are evil when we do that. And why is it so wrong? Because we are judging by the wrong standards. One, our standards are wrong. Because all you know about these guys is that one looks nice and the other one 
could upgrade their wardrobe if they came to Farmdale's clothes closet. Right? That's all you know about them. Is that one of them looks nice, the other one does not. So what do you do? You make a distinction. And you make a distinction about from one from the wrong criteria. From the wrong criteria. That's what it is. And what else? What else is wrong with that? Well, because do you see we're using that criteria? So what are we doing? We're waiting to judge people based on what they seem capable of offering us before we decide how to treat them. Do you notice that's, that's what's going on in the text? That, that these two people come in and we wait to see what they're wearing before we decide how we're going to respond to them. And do you see that's a problem? That those people who, have, who serve a Lord who is glorious can't wait to look at people and then decide how we're going to respond. That's what he's talking about. We're waiting to judge them and then respond to them based on the judgment we make. That's a problem. That cannot be the case. I entitled this Down with Christian snobbery because Christian snobbery is an oxymoron. And if you're a Christian snob, you're just the plain moron, no oxy. I took the oxy off, it's just moronic. Why should Christian snobs not be a thing? Why should they not be a thing? Well, because of what we see next here in verse 5, that you shouldn't be partial because superficiality is against a glorious Christ and it is against God's work. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So James asked two hypothetical questions. Uh, questions here to help us understand some things. The first one's this. Didn't God choose the poor? Didn't God choose the poor? This is not saying that the gateway to God is poverty. Sell all we have and then God goes, that one's poor enough for me to pick. Uh, if, they, if they just got rid of that bass boat, then I would choose them. You know what's different? The, you know what's between you and God? Your bass boat. Get rid of it. And if you want to get rid of it, I live about 10 minutes that way. And you can just put it right, just pull it right in. Just put it right in the front yard there. That's not what he's saying. That you've got to sell some stuff and then God chooses you. And that's how you become a Christian. They're just, they got poor enough. That's not what's happening here in verse 5. It's not saying that every poor person is chose by, chosen by God. That's not what it's saying either. It's not saying that the guys that hang out on the, <clears throat> the stoplights down here, it doesn't, say, it doesn't mean they're automatically Christians because, hey, look, he says he doesn't have anything. That's not what it is. But it is saying this, that the salvation of every individual results from a choice of God. 
That's what he's saying in verse 5. You say, yeah, but I, I, I had to respond to the gospel. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And you should respond to the gospel. You responding to the gospel is how we know what God is doing. Right? That's how we know what God is doing. So first, has not God chosen? And then you respond to the gospel... And then you show your faith with, that actually works. Here we are in the book of James. You see how that works? The whole nine yards is right there. So you say, yeah, yes, I, I responded to the gospel. Sure, sure, sure you did. But who decided that you would be born? Specifically, who decided you would be born in, in, a, in the country with the Bible in it? Who decided that you'd be born with the country with the Bible in it and in, it being in your, in your language. You see what I'm saying here? That, that, that you being a Christian is in the heart of God and the circumstances that he brought about to bring you here. So, the answer to the above is who, who, who made all of these decisions? The answer is God. In fact, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God told Moses in Exodus 33, 19, that I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will show compassion to whom I show compassion. Paul is blown away at this in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the riches and the depths, riches and wisdom... Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God. Excuse me, it took me a minute to get it out. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is blown away. Or he's asking the question, I don't know how all of this works, that God is sovereign in our salvation. Oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. But here in James, there's one thing that we know about how God brings someone to salvation. There's one thing that we can know for sure here in James chapter 2 is that he didn't check your bank account before he did it. That's the thing, that, the thing that we take from this passage is that God doesn't check your status before he does this. But what he, he's more likely to do is to choose someone who is poor. Think about it like this. Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians. He tells them, not many, uh, now he said, not many of them measured up to worldly standards. He says, not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Here's what we know about the standards of God. Paul looks out at the church of Corinth and goes, he didn't pick the best to be here. 
Because not many of y'all were, he, he didn't raid the top of the ladder to create his people. He didn't do that. Now, it didn't mean that there weren't any rich people in church. We know there were. We know there were. We look at, we don't, like, we look at Job. Job was a very rich man. He had a really, he had a relatively short poor spell, if you saw that, in the book. Right? He was poor for a little bit there. Rich at the beginning, rich at the end. Abraham was a very rich man. Uh, Lydia, in the book of Acts, was a successful woman. Like, it didn't mean that nobody in church was successful. That, that's not what that means. It does mean that God flexes his sovereign muscles to shame the world's standards of wealth. That's what it does mean. And he doesn't go by their standards. And he has mercy on who he has mercy. And he has compassion on who he has compassion. Regardless of how expensive their clothes are, how nice their car was, or what bus that they got off of in public transportation. So every time that we have been a Christian snob and had those thoughts, it has gone completely against what God's done. It's gone completely against that. Looking down on someone because of a class that they fit into, and we've acted contrary to what God did to save us. That's what, that's what it means. Because here's the truth about all of us. That God is in his own category. Heaven and earth could not contain his greatness. And he made us in his image. He made us to be like him. But if you've ever had that kid that you've raised, and you're like, they've got above their raising. Right? Do you know those? You go, they weren't raised like that. You see, we weren't created like this. We were created in the image of God to find joy and satisfaction in our submission to our creator. We were made like that. But we did worse than get above our raising. Here's what we did. We rebelled against God by wanting to be him. Wanting to be the one in charge. Wanting to look down on God. The serpent comes to the woman in the garden in Genesis. And, 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 and then and what does he do? What does he do? He tries to get Adam and Eve to look down upon the word of God. From a position of authority. Look down on your nose against God. He's told you some things, but he's not really trustworthy, is he? And that is how our rebellion started. And unfortunately, we have been doing that ever since. And instead of wiping us out, this competition with God has created a distance between us and God. Instead of getting rid of us, he became one like us. And he lived the perfect life in the person of Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sin. In fact, he had no nastiness, no sin of his own. But he had our sin placed upon him on the cross. And he died on the cross for our sins and rose on the third day. 
as the Lord of glory, my friends. That's what he's done. And, and when you beat death, you make the rules. So what are the, what are the conditions that he lays out for us? What is there that must, be, that must happen? Well, we must turn from our sin, turn from our rebellion against God, and make our life entirely about Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we looked under the hood and doesn't God choose the poor and the world? Well, what does he do? What does he do? So he, he throws out your income bracket. And what does he do? He makes his people rich in faith. He gives them Faith. And he makes them heirs of a kingdom. Heirs of a kingdom. And he's promised to those who love him. So yes, there is the choice of God regardless of your income. But what is the choice of God for? It is for you to believe. So how do I know that God has chosen? You believe. How do we know that you're heirs of the kingdom? You believe. How do you know that kingdom is yours and the promises are yours? You love him. You see that there in the verse? You love him. This is how it works. God doesn't look out at you and, and make you bring in your W-2s. No, regardless of the status or what you look like on the outside or superficial means, God does these things. And what does he do for them, for us? He, gives, he, he makes us rich in faith. He makes us heirs of the kingdom. So do you see the problem with, with someone coming in dressed like a beggar and the church looking down on him. Because if that person is a Christian and they dress like a beggar, they may look like a beggar on the outside, but on the inside, they're rich in faith, heirs of a kingdom, in the promises, and they love God. So why would you look, your, look down your nose at someone who is an heir? Why would you look down your nose at someone who is rich in faith? Why would you look down your nose at somebody who's receiving the promises of God and, and a, a fellow lover of God? Why would you do that? That's why partiality is so wrong because it goes, that superficial nature goes completely against the work of God. He makes heirs out of beggars. So why would you look down at the beggars who are really heirs? Because you are judging by the wrong standards. Because what does God know about them? That they're rich in faith, right? That they really believe. Yes, God chose them, but they really believe. And they're heirs of a kingdom. You see, we worry about the status of people. And God knows the real status of people. See the difference? 
He actually knows the real status. And the real status is, is faithful, heir, lover of God. You see that there in the second half of verse 5. He took a nobody with nothing and he gave him faith, made him heirs of the kingdom and his promises. So if you're poor in the eyes of the world, this is just a call to focus on your real status. That's what it's doing here. And this person loves God. That's how, they know that's how we know that they're a chosen heir. They love God. One commentator pointed out this is an expression of the purest, noblest form of love, which is volitionally driven, not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. So the people in this kingdom love God like that. Not in a way that causes competitions and measurements between each other. No, not that at all. Go back to the gospel. It doesn't have to do with your status. Or what you bring to the table. Because as Jonathan Edwards put it, we don't bring anything to our salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. And what God does is he gives people with empty hands faith. Makes them heirs. Gives them promises. And creates lovers of God. That's what he does. If you're a Christian, you've been given grace and put in a place that you don't deserve. You don't deserve to be put in the place that you're in. So who are you to look down on anybody else by superficial means of the status that they may have or maybe they don't have? It goes against God's glorious Christ and God's work for us to be superficial. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we fix this problem? Well, we fix the problem by uh, all wearing trash bags to church. Is that, is that how we would fin fi fix this problem? We cut a little neck hole and a little two arm holes in the trash bags that we all wear to church. Is that what we do? No. No. These, these people, they come in in this illustration, were strangers, so they had to be helped to their seats. We need to commit right now to hospitality and not wait to judge whether or not somebody's worthy of it or not. We commit now. We don't look and wait and see. We make a commitment now before they come in, regardless of what they look like. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what they look like. So we commit because it goes for our glorious Christ to treat these heirs this way, because that's what they are. But doesn't it make you self-conscious about like what you wear to church when you read a verse like this? 
when you look at it, coming to church in trash bags is not the answer. You don't look at a shirt and go, that shirt's too nice for church. I can't wear it there. No, the real question is, is what you're wearing, does it turn heads when you get here? And cause a distraction from the Lord of glory. That could be something that you wear that is too peacocky, right? Too, too nice, like as in like, like this, right? But it could just be flashy. It could just be flashy, right? We can't overcorrect the other way. We can't do that. The issue is, is that Christ is glorious and none of us want to distract from his glory. We don't want to distract. So that's what we do. And we commit to not treating somebody differently depending on what they wear anyway. That's what we do. Why? Because it goes against the glory of Christ, who is really glory, and the rest of us, like, we're all wearing rags of different kinds. And we remember the gospel, that God saved us, and in, internally and, and eternally, we're a beggar. That God has made an heir. That's what our real status is. So no matter how nice, that's what we do. That's how we respond. Now, this doesn't mean that if there's one seat left and there's a young kid running to it and an old, old lady on a walker, it doesn't mean we, the, the young kid runs in and goes, hey, hey, old lady, uh, I'm an heir, so sit on the floor because I got here first. James chapter 2, verse 1. That's not necessarily how we use this, right? There's not that we don't honor people among us. There's respect for the aged that we, we see in the scriptures. There's, there's honor in the church. I'm not saying there isn't any honor. There is. Verses elsewhere that say how and when and why one ought to be honored. But it means that we're all in the same eternal status, and it ought to make us not look down on anybody for superficial things. That's what it's saying here. So if you're not a Christian, the truth is, is that no matter your possessions and the things you might accumulate right now, that there is a soul inside of you that's going to live forever. There's a part of you inside of you that's going to live forever. And you can't buy it, and you can't sell it, you can't dress it up. You need to respond to what God did in Christ. You need to turn from trusting in yourself to trust in Christ alone, to bank your life on Him. And He'll forgive everything that you've ever done, regardless of how nice you have, what <laughs> things you have, and what, the life you built for yourself. He will forgive you of everything you've done and give you eternal life with him. That's what he'll do. You need to respond to the gospel. You need to respond to the gospel.
and I'll be up here and Pastor Jonathan will come and you can talk to us up here or on your way out. It doesn't matter the show, right? The, the location that one goes. It matters the position of one's heart. So you can talk to us about there. You can talk to us on the way to your car. What we see here is that the sh- there is to be no show in the church, particularly that of partiality. So let's re-evaluate that little voice in our head that we hear when we see somebody and realize that Christ is the only one who's glorious and the gospel levels the playing field for all of us and puts us all in one category called needy. And God, who is glorious, is the only supply. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. I pray that you would uh, do work in us so that we are not judges with evil thoughts. Please create in us hearts that uh, look to uh, not distract from your glory by the things that we do or the things that we wear or the things that we are. I pray that you would help us to uh, have our eyes opened to how glorious you are and how needy we are and what you've done for us in your son. So please help us in Jesus' name. Amen.